Welcome to the Parkwood Podcast. Our mission is to help people find hope in the person of Jesus Christ and find home in this family. If this is your first time tuning in, we would love to get connected with you. You can text the word NEW to 833-202-2834 or visit parkwoodwindsor.com for more information. Now, let's take a moment to prepare our hearts as we get into today's message. All right. Let's get into it this morning. We are continuing on in this uh, Christmas sermon series called Stations of the Crib. It's a playoff of the Stations of the Cross, the very popular Stations of the Cross, where many will slow down to look at those very specific moments uh, involving Jesus' death. Well, in this series, we're slowing down to look at the very specific moments around Jesus' birth. Uh, last week, we, we kind of stopped at the first station, uh, Mary's angelic visitation. Remember, like this, this angel shows up to a, a teenager girl, probably 14, 15, maybe 16 years old, and, and tells her that, that she's going to be with child, and this child is going to be the son of God. Now, that's, that's a message, you know? Um, but honestly, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting, her response. She's not even caught up on that part. She's stuck on the fact that she's going to be pregnant and at the same time being a virgin, right? This doesn't make a lot of uh, biological sense. And so she asked the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel responds very simply and just says, like, it's, it's going to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, in Parkwood, if I could just pause, I think it's just worth noting before we get into any of my planned kind of stuff today as we move on, but it's the same answer to our questions today. Now, sure, there's probably nobody here that's like, how did I get pregnant? You know, like, um, it's not the same wrestle as Mary, but like, um, but, but we're in this, like, for some of you, your wrestle is, your question, how's my business going to make it through another year? Friend, it's, it's the same answer, through the power of the Holy Spirit. How is my marriage going to make it through this trial? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. How, how is my body going to make it through uh, these treatment plans and all this? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Different questions, same answer. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and then it actually happens. Like Mary gets pregnant through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And she goes down to visit Elizabeth and she sings uh, what we called her Magnificat. It is, it is this amazing worship song back to the Lord. Now that was all last week. Uh, looking at uh, Mary's angelic visitation. This week, we're moving on. The second station we're stopping at, we're going to look at Joseph's angelic dream. Uh, We got angels wrapped up in every part of this birth narrative with Jesus. It's so good. But if you have a Bible, let's go. Matthew chapter 1. You can flip there or turn on a device to get there. I don't know how you're going to get there, but go there. Matthew 1. Uh, again, last week was Mary talk. This week's going to be Joseph talk. Okay, let's, let's talk about Joseph. You know what's interesting at Christmas time, and I go through this almost every year. H- how many of you, you have a, um, a, a nativity scene at home? Yeah? You have those little things? Yeah. So isn't it interesting, and I go through this every year, that I'm pulling out all the little, uh, I want to call them action figures, the... Uh, <laughs> The, 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 the figurines, 
And it's interesting, everybody kind of has a place, but then you come to Joseph and you're not always sure which one's Joseph. Especially if you have shepherds in your nativity scene, like they all just kind of blend in. They all look alike. And then some of you are like, I don't know, I think this is Joseph, right? Like, it's interesting, but I don't think it's just an issue with our nativities. I think it's actually how we view the Christmas story. Uh, for, for a lot of us, we, we kind of come to the story and Mary's part is so well known and so spectacular that, that Joseph just kind of blends into the background. You know, he's, he's kind of like an afterthought. He's, he, he's like, we know he's there, but it's like, yeah, okay, he was there, but he didn't, he didn't really play that big of a role. And, and friend, I just want to tell you this morning, yes, he did. Uh, we actually know he did. Like, like his story, his involvement here is amazing in what we have recorded, but there's also stuff that we don't have recorded, but we can safely assume over Joseph's life. Like, here's what's interesting. 2,000 years ago, in the kind of ancient Jewish customs, it was the role and the responsibility of the father to kind of bestow upon his son two different things. He He would teach his sons his trade and his faith. So Joseph was a carpenter. Now here, we kind of think carpenter, and we're like, okay, so he knew how to cut wood and kind of put things together. Yes, um, but wood was actually very uh, scarce in those days. Uh, wasn't a, a ton of tree population, but what, what was actually wrapped up into the carpenter role was also stonework. Uh, many have actually looked at the role of uh, a carpenter, an ancient first century carpenter, and probably one of the most likely parallel jobs today would be like a civil engineer. Uh, they were incredible problem solvers. They were uh, very smart. They were, they were very skilled. And this is the trade that Joseph would have taught Jesus. I think it's Mark chapter six, where it actually says that Jesus was a carpenter. Th- this would have been Jesus's trade as, as, as he grew up. He would have uh, been very smart, uh, problem th- uh, solver. You, again, where did he get it from? Joseph. But, but Joseph wasn't just responsible for teaching Jesus his trade. He was also responsible for teaching Jesus his faith. Now, this is like, this is an interesting thought. Like, it's important that we understand that Jesus didn't drop out of heaven with an automatic download of knowledge. Like, this is actually, Philippians says very clearly that, that, that Christ humbled himself, the incarnation of God. When, when God put skin and bone on and came into the world, there were limitations that he put on himself in order to do this. In one of those, the Bible is very clear that Jesus actually grew in his wisdom and his stature. There was this, this progression. He didn't come down out of heaven just knowing everything. Joseph would have actually had to teach Jesus the scriptures. Specifically, the Torah, right? The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This would have been Joseph's job to actually teach a very young Jesus how to grow in his understandings. Now, this is what's wild. He's teaching Jesus about the scriptures that testify about Jesus. <laughs> like, like it, it's a unique job, but again, it's one for Joseph. And we actually know that, that he grew in this. Uh, what's interesting in, in the life of Jesus is uh, you, we get this kind of one-off glimpse at, at Jesus at 12 years old. 
And uh, Joseph and Mary, they, they bring him to Jerusalem for, for Passover, which they would have done every year. And then uh, Mary and Joe leave and they forget Jesus behind. Any, anybody here ever lost your child for a moment? <laughs> I was in sport check um, like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. You know the upper level? You got all those racks of clothing and Bo was with me. And I stopped to look at a sweater and I turned around and my child is gone. Like, and so it only took about three minutes, but in that three minutes, I went into a panic attack. Like, like I was like, like through all the employees, I'm like, help me find my son. They're like, okay, calm down. So you're like, like and we found him like hanging off the top rail. I'm like, Bo, what are you, anyway, if you've ever been there, it's wild. A lot of emotions come up. Mary and Joseph lost Jesus, not for three minutes, but for three days. <laughs> it, get this. It took them 24 hours to even know he was missing. So like, if you're here and you've been through that, I just want to encourage you. Parenting is hard. Even if your child is the son of God. Okay. It took them 24 hours to even realize that he was missing another two days to find him. And when they found him, what's he doing? He's in the temple with the religious leaders talking theology. And it says that they were all amazed at the answers that he gave. Okay, well, where did he get those answers? Where did he form his theology? Who, who at a very base level taught him this stuff? Joseph. So although today, many of us, we kind of place him somewhere in the background of the narrative, like he was uninvolved. Friend, I'm telling you, he was very involved. So this is Joseph this morning. He's the carpenter, he's the problem solver, and he is the theology teacher. You ready to go into the story? Okay, go with me. Matthew chapter one, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. This is Matthew's account of the story. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, what's really interesting here is where it says that she was found to be pregnant does not mean that she was caught. Okay. This, this is not saying that like you know, Mary was trying to conceal her pregnancy and then all of a sudden her belly kind of popped and it's like, oh, people are going to know. No, what this is saying is that there was a moment and we don't exactly know when it happened, but there was a moment where Mary and Joseph must have had a very awkward conversation. You ever think about this? Mary comes to Joseph. Joseph, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. At which point she would have said, without a or he would have said, like, sorry, who, who's the dad? Can you imagine her response? <laughs> uh, yeah, so here's the thing about that. Um, God? God's the father of my child. Like, you know, like this is, this is straight up drama. Like, like this is like an episode out of Jerry Springer. Like, coming up next, who's the real father? Joseph or God? Stay tuned. Like, like it's, it's chaos and, and, and Joseph doesn't believe 
a word of it. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 19. It says, very next words, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Again, uh, Mary comes with the story, God impregnated me. He's like, well, that's a new one, but no, I don't believe you. And in, in, in so much so does he not believe her that his immediate reaction is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce her. You see, this is actually an incredibly painful moment for Joseph. Uh, everything in his mind points, the evidence points to the fact that she has been unfaithful. She has slept with another man. And, and that's, that's how she's pregnant. Now, it also says here that, that Joseph, interesting, uh, it says that he was faithful to the law. Like, like he wanted to obey the law, but he's a good man and he didn't want to put her to public disgrace. You see, in all Jewish, Greek, and Roman law, it actually um, commanded men in this situation that they, that they must divorce uh, their wives or their fiancés in this situation. But Jewish law took it a step further and said, depending on the exact things that led up to this moment that the woman uh, can either be like flogged and beaten or in worst case, she can be put to death. So Joseph, again, he doesn't, he doesn't want that. Like, like his heart is broken. He feels betrayed, but he also doesn't want her to die. So, so, so what he does is he decides in his mind, all right, it's over. The relationship is done, but I'm going to do it privately and, and try to save her from a little bit of public disgrace. Pick it up in verse 20. But after he, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's a good dream. That's a good dream, right? Angel shows up and says, hey, listen to Mary. She's not lying. She's telling the truth. Um, the Holy Spirit is to blame. He's the one who did this. And believe her, trust her. And then he says this, the angel says, and name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Literally the name Jesus means that God is salvation, is anybody here glad that God came to save us from our sins? Like anybody, yeah. And, and that's a loaded saving. Like, like, like Jesus saves us from uh, the penalty of our sin. He saves us from the power of our sin. And this is maybe my favorite part. One day, Jesus will save us from even the presence of sin. That's what Christ accomplished on our behalf. This is the dream that comes to Joseph. Believe her, trust her. She's telling the truth. Inside of her right now is the son of God. Name him Jesus. This is the dream. Jesus is salvation. Now go with me to verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So there's a shift. I mean, moments before this, right? Joseph has determined, 
this relationship is dead. It's over. It's done. I'm divorcing her, albeit it's going to be uh, private, not in public. Uh, hopefully I can save her some disgrace, if not death, but it's done. That's, that's what happened. Then Angel shows up in a dream. In, in this moment in the dream was so powerful. You ever have one of those dreams that's just so real? Like I've never had an angel show up to me in a dream. Um, I can just imagine how real and intense it must be. And, 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 and Joseph literally shifts a gear and goes from, I'm going to divorce her to I'm going to bring her home. The, the, he shifts the gear to I'm done with her to now she's going to be my wife. But please make no mistake, this is not an easy moment for Joseph. In this moment... Joseph is going to sacrifice many things. Uh, first, he's going to sacrifice his, his reputation. You see, by, by, by taking Mary as his wife, he's giving the impression to his entire community that that child is his and that it was conceived out of wedlock. Now, although in our culture today, that could be frowned upon in, in different areas, but like first century Jewish culture, there would have been whispers of disgrace and shame over Joseph and Mary's life, like continually. And believe, this is not an easy decision to believe the angel. He, he sacrifices his reputation. And not only his reputation, Joseph sacrifices his rights. It's the right of the father to name the child. And he doesn't even get to do that. He doesn't get to name the child. God uh, sends the message through the angel to say, hey, name him Jesus. He, he sacrifices his reputation. He sacrifices his rights. There is, there, there's no easy moment for Joseph here. But what I want you to see, I mean, last week we looked at like the faith of Mary to believe in all that stuff. This week, I want you to see the sacrifice of Joseph in what he paid to actually make the first Christmas happen. For, 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 for his involvement in this story, it, it is significant. And it is all wrapped up in the amazing birth story of Jesus. But it's also in the middle of this story that we see something else. If you were following through in your Bibles, you probably noticed that I skipped two verses. Right in the middle of this story, verse 22 and 23, I, uh, Matthew, who's writing this account, he makes a connection that we have to see this morning. Matthew says that all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, through the story of Joseph, we're, we're given this connection to something that the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before. 700 years before um, the, the prophet Isaiah wrote about this very day, th this situation, this pregnancy, this birth, and said that she will conceive and give birth to a son and they, and they will call him Emmanuel. And then Matthew comes on the scene 700 years later, quotes the prophet, but then adds his own words at the end and says, I want you to understand what Emmanuel means so that we would never miss it. And he says, Emmanuel means God with us. Oh, come on, just say the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
That's like Jesus is given different names in the scriptures. Like Jesus, obviously the name, like God is salvation. He's called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. He's, he's the advocate, the good shepherd, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He's, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's so many great names and titles that are ascribed to him, but I got to be honest. Maybe one of my favorite is this right here in the Christmas story. This, this name, Emmanuel, means God with us. So, so what I want to do is I just want to take a few minutes this morning and I want to preach to you out of this name. <laughs> and I, and I want to just show you two different things that have serious implications into our lives this Christmas season. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's the first thing we learn is this. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What does Isaiah's prophecy say? What does Matthew fight to get in the scripture so that we wouldn't miss it? And it's that this child that was inside of Mary is God. And and listen, I don't know what what you came in here with. I don't know where your doubts are, where your questions are, but this Christmas season, like we're all just going to have to come face to face with this. Where we're, we're, we're going to have to see this statement and decide what we're going we're, to do with it because it's a big statement. It's, it's saying that Jesus is not just a prophet. He's, he's not just a moral teacher. He's not just the Messiah. He is God in human flesh. Now, now clearly not everybody believes this, right? Like uh, the, the Muslims, they believe that Jesus was a prophet. The Jews believe that Jesus was a false messianic claim. Many Hindus today believe that Jesus was the reincarnation of the god Vishnu. Uh, You you, you have the Mormons who believe he's the spirit brother of Lucifer, the devil. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he's the archangel Michael. And then you just have many atheists or agnostics who simply see him as an ancient teacher. Nothing more, nothing less. But what I'm interested today is not necessarily what does everybody else think? What I'm interested in is what did Jesus think? Like, did Jesus believe that he was God? Did did Jesus believe that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, that he was the fulfillment of what Matthew said? Like, did Jesus believe that he was Emmanuel? I'm gonna argue yes. And I want to show you why I believe that he absolutely believed this. It's not going to be on the screen, but I'll just give you three instances. Uh, What's fascinating, Luke 10, verse 18. Um, Jesus, at this moment, midway through his ministry, he has this large following. They call him the 72. And he's sending them out on a mission. And he's giving them like like the speech. You know, the speech before you do something great. Jesus is giving them like this amazing rah, rah, let's go. You can do it. And right in the middle of it, he pauses and he says this, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Like, can you imagine hearing that for the first time? It's like, sorry, come again. You were there? That's, that's an interesting statement. Or, or, or how about John 8, 58, when Jesus is talking with some of the, 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 the leaders in the community, it is contentious, it is heated. And then Jesus makes this claim. He says, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> he takes the personal uh, self-description of God given to Moses in the burning bush, and he says, yeah, I'm him. 
He says, I am, I am the God in the burning bush. He says, he says like, like I'm, I am the voice that has led Israel all along. And you know what they did? They picked up stones to kill him because they knew what he was saying. I've, 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 it's funny, like I'll, I'll watch sometimes these debates online and people come to this text and they're like, well, this Jesus didn't claim to be God. He was just saying maybe he was really old or, or he was, no, no, no. He, he says here, like I'm God and everybody knew it. That's why they wanted to kill him because in their minds it was blasphemy. How can a human being say that they're God? And yet he did. Or, or one of my favorites is John 20, 28. You got doubting Thomas, right? Doubting, like resurrected Jesus. He doesn't get to see him. And then he says, I will not believe until I see and touch the holes in his hands and his side. And then there's the moment when he does. He sees him, he touches him. And then out of his mouth, he says, my Lord and my God. And what's fascinating is if ever there was a moment that, that, that if Jesus was not God and he wanted to set the record straight, this is it. Like, like Thomas, whoa, 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 back up. <laughs> I, I might be the Messiah, but I'm not God. No, you know what Jesus does? Right when Thomas says, you are my Lord and my God, Jesus says, yes. <laughs> and you've arrived at this conclusion because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Like Jesus in every way believed that he was God. Not a philosopher, not a moral teacher, not just uh, uh, whatever, like, like not just even the Messiah. He believed himself to be the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that he is God. And I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, like, when we come to Jesus, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he said he was. He says, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense just about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that door open to us, and he did not intend to. All of us have three options. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or God. But that's it. There's no fourth category. I'm going to argue today... I believe Jesus is God. And not just God. <laughs> Here's the second part of the name Emmanuel is that it's God with us. Jesus is with us. And this is the beautiful, beautiful message of Christmas. Jesus is with us right now. Like, I don't, I, I really don't know how it happened. I'm guessing it all happened throughout time as the centuries rolled on. But um, we've, just, we've just made Christmas very pretty, haven't we? And honestly, I don't even think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, I like the pretty. Uh, every year, I risk life and limb to put up my Christmas lights <laughs> on my house. We... Uh, we've got the stockings over the fireplace. We've got the garland. We've got pillows and blankets. And if you came in my house, it was, I said in the nine o'clock, it's just like Christmas just threw up inside. Like, um, it's pretty. <laughs> 
It's pretty. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't feel bad about making your house pretty at Christmas time. As long as you understand that the first Christmas just wasn't. Like the first Christmas, um, uh, like, like, at, at the, like at the cave that like they gave birth in, it wasn't like right before they gave birth, Mary or Joseph's like, oh, I got to string up some lights first and, and we got to get the tree in place. No, like this is all stuff that's been adapted over time. And, and some of it has really great meaning and significance, but, but, but the, the, the first Christmas was actually anything but pretty. Even in what we just read today, <laughs> the, the first Christmas was fi- filled with heartache and, and doubt and probably regret, mindsets of divorce and separation. It was, I mean, it was, it was ugly. And, and then on top of that, like, like, like they, Mary literally gives birth to Jesus and probably would have been like a cave next to these animals. And there's no medication, there's no epidurals, there's no doctors, there's no nurses, there's just pain in the dark. And then after that, literally, you go into the very next chapter of Matthew and you see, you see Herod comes on the scene and he, he orders the mass genocide of babies two years and younger in the, in the Bethlehem region in the hopes that he would kill Jesus. That's what the first Christmas looked like. That, that, like it was a mess. Like it was... There was nothing pretty about it at all. And that's kind of the point. (laughs) That when we come to this prophecy that Isaiah gave and Matthew makes the connection to, it's not that God comes in the middle of everything being amazing. He comes into the middle of heartache and pain. His, His presence is known in the midnight of our soul. In the, in, in the trials that we face, in, in, it, when, when life flips itself upside down, God is there. That's the message of Christmas. That's the gospel. Like the gospel is not that if you receive Jesus and say yes to Jesus, then everything's just gonna work itself out. Sometimes it doesn't work itself out. The message of the gospel is not that it's always going to be good. The message of the gospel is that God's never going to leave you, no matter how bad it gets. No matter what mountain is in front of you and trial is before you, the promise of Christmas is that God is with you right now. Like, don't just read this story from long, like, personalize it in your life, in your situation, in your pain, God is with you. Like, I I don't know. I don't know what you walked in here with. Some of you I do, because I'm your pastor and we talk. But many of you I don't. Many of you, I I, I don't know what curveball life has thrown you. Maybe... Maybe you you were excited growing up, you just finished university or college, you got your degree, but now there's no job. And you find yourself moving back home with mom or dad, and that wasn't your plan. 
Maybe this was the Christmas that you dreamed that a child would just surround your life and your events, but it's the infertility. It's the miscarriage. It's the adoption that fell through at the last moment. It has left a hole in your heart that most people just don't seem to understand. Maybe this is the year that you lost somebody very close to you. You buried a friend or a family member. Maybe it was a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, grandparent, aunt, uncle. There's gonna be an empty seat at the dinner table. And you're gonna miss the laughter and the love Friend, I can't tell you that it's all going to be easy. That's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is not go buy gifts and bring people in and everything's going to be okay. The message of Christmas is in the darkest, deepest, most lonely pain that you've ever felt. God is there. God is there. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is the God that never leaves us and never forsakes us. And again, I don't know why sometimes, man, life throws us just a blow so vicious and painful. I I don't get it. But what I do know is that there's never been a moment that we have breathed that God was not right there next to us. This is what we put our hope in. It's not in the lights or the trees or the stockings or the garland. It's in Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you so much for tuning into today's sermon. If this message has been a blessing to you, please be sure to share this with a friend and leave us a review in the podcast app of your choice. For more information and to get connected with Parkwood, please visit parkwoodwindsor.com.